Good to be back for another week. I should have backed it. We're a day late, but never a buck short. I'll uh, introduce you to our guests before we get there. Just a reminder that you can get in touch with the show via Twitter or via email. Both of those are in the show notes. Okay, one by one, Chris Fanuccio, racing editor for News Corp. G'day, Big V, as we call you. How are you, mate? Hello, John. I don't mind the Thursday recording. I was allowed, I was able to watch maps last night. I like, to, I like watching <laughs> the party on the Wednesday night. Our punting expert is Philip Georgios. G'day, Phil. How are you going? Very well, mate. Uh, not sure I can top maths. That, that was a bit unexpected. But uh, we've got a cracking weekend, long weekend, in fact, of racing across multiple states and territories, uh, headlined by the new market. Can't wait. There's a lot going on, isn't there? All right. Well, we are a day late, but uh, we will still quickly look back at last week. So, Chris, I'll, get, I'll start with you. Uh, should have backed it and should have sacked it, please. I should have backed it. I'll go to race two at Flemington. So unusual. I took him on for the second time and left with a bit of egg on my face again. But I think from that race, Timor is worth sticking with after jumping from 2,000 to 2,500. And I should have sacked it. We'll go to race four, Wild Bell. There's been a few WA horses that haven't been running up to their spruik in the last couple of weeks, and this was another one as well. So I think just be wary of the WA horses coming across and also their their prices that they're going up as well. Yeah, well, my should have backed it uh, was at Flemington in race three, and it was one of Big V's uh, bets, best bets of the day, Kalos. Um, and just on that social media, if you did happen to catch our best bets last week, you went all right. Uh, yeah, it looked a class above the field, um, good form down the straight, and at $3 or $3.20, whatever it started, was a good bet that I definitely missed out on. So that was my should have backed it for the week. And I'll go to the blamey for my should have sacked it and Uncle Bryn. Um, this is one where I should have waited until I heard the mounting yard report because uh, I heard whoever it was doing the mounting yard say that there was a little bit of condition still on Uncle Bryn and that uh, the trainer had noted that perhaps wasn't quite ready to go. So um, I already had my money on and I was looking for the eject button but couldn't find it, unfortunately. It was still a good run by the horse and I'll be looking for it next start, but I'll probably just wait until I hear what's said around the mounting yard until I load up. All right, well, we'll have a quick look back at last Saturday. We are a day later than usual, as mentioned off the top, but we had two guineas races, so two upsets in each guinea. So Legato won the Australian guineas at Flemington. And the Randwick Guineas was won by Communists. That meant that uh, Af Cabin and Jackano were the two hot pots beaten. Who wants the first crack at this? I'll go to Chris. I was pretty with with the Australian Guineas. I was pretty keen on Jackano, but when when the barriers came out and I saw it, it drew wide, and then when Osipenko was taken out of the the race, you know there was a, a fair bit of money that went on Jackano, and it just became too short a price from you know where he was going to map and. Yeah, there was that question mark with him over the 1600. And I just thought he got a bit too far back, had too much work to do. You know, Trishan looked like he had the race won in the last 50. Then Legato just came from the clouds and, and nabbed him on the, on the line. So I thought that was a, a pretty good win by the New Zealand filly, who's been up for quite a while and he's had a few grand finals. As I said last week, could, could be a query with her, but, you know, she's just come out and, and won. Trishan, as I mentioned before, that was a good. Good run too, and and the elliptical loom to win. I just, you know, just not sure about him. I I thought he'd finish a bit closer. Now, Phil, I'm guessing Legato's win wasn't as much of a surprise for you. 
I was going to raise that as a point of order there, Corbet. I think that was one of our best bets on the uh, Twitter handle for those that picked up that. So Legato's win was actually pretty phenomenal. It did not look like it was going to get a run all the way down the straight. And obviously there was that terrible fall that we'll likely discuss as well. But it absolutely flew in that last 100 metres. Jack and I was past it and it's gone past everything in, a, in the blink of an eye. So that was a really eye-catching win. So certainly no upsets um, from my perspective. Uh, I do think that there was an upset up, up in Sydney there with um, Communist. Aft Cabin really, I thought, had the run of the race there and could have easily won that, but just didn't quite get the job done. And I saw the jockey duck inside and, you know, didn't want to take that outside run and, 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 and finish over the top. So probably just wasn't quite good enough. And it was uh, good to see Zach Purton go back-to-back in the Group 1s there as well. I didn't even realise he was racing back, back in Australia. Now, three other winners I want to cover from last Saturday. Chris, I might throw to you for the first two of them because I don't think Phil's going to want to talk about the Canterbury Stakes or the Challenge Stakes. So we've got Artorias winning the Group 1, uh, stealing that one at the last minute. And then we've got Passive Aggressive uh, winning the Group 2 Challenge Stakes, nutting uh, Eduardo with gear coming home but not fast enough. What did you make of those two races? Well, I was glad that Legato got up for Phil because he would have been on the floor after those results up in Sydney with Eduardo and Imperatrice. And, yeah, I, I thought um, Eduardo just held on, but that was just a big performance by Passive Aggressive who I think does relish a bit of cut in the ground, uh, which was the case up in Sydney. Giga Kick was a phenomenal run from back in the field. That was just a she, – she was flying in that last 600 metres, so – yeah, she's looking pretty good for the TJ. And in the Canterbury Stakes, his Imperatrice looked like she had it won. And then Artorias has just come from nowhere. And and Artorias was a pretty big price as well. I think, you know, that's more of the case of him being a non-winner. But he's been pretty competitive in some good races. And I, I just, in, in hindsight, you know, I don't think their prices should have been, there shouldn't be such a discrepancy in their prices. I think that's a really good point, Big Van. I think Corbet may have even mentioned Artorias last uh, week on the podcast. But, yeah, it was a discrepancy in hindsight that made me feel a bit sick about that. But I wasn't feeling sick at the 100. Imperatries looked absolutely home. Uh, likewise, Eduardo at about the, about the same point in that race. So you're right. That was um, two pretty hard pills to swallow, those two results. Um, pretty keen on Eduardo first up over a 1,000. But... It lost by the smallest possible margin. Some might even argue it could have been called a dead heat, but I think you could just see a gap there. So why don't we go to something a bit more pleasant for you to talk about, Matt? Why don't you tell us about Benedetta's win up the straight? Yeah, well, that was a truly dominant win, wasn't it? And we'd seen it go around at Sandown and get the job done at sort of benchmark level, but to step up and win that English English um, sprint, um, worth about three-quarters of a million dollars, mind you, and do it easily. I mean, I... I was on it and it trucked up at about the 200 and you just couldn't look away. It was just going to burst clear and I think it probably beat the fourth horse by about eight lengths. So could be a very good horse, Benedetta, and one definitely to keep an eye on. Um, as we get closer to some of the bigger races as well, I think she could really step up. We'll move now to the issues of the week, gents. Now, I uh, haven't talked about this with you guys off air, but one thing I noticed got a bit of uh, bit of diverse media, media coverage related back to the Australian Giddies. Uh, now, Racing Victoria has decided to edit the footage of the race so that the fall, which happened in the home straight, is not 
visible. I heard someone on uh, racing uh, RSN 927 down here, very critical of that, and then someone on uh, SEN track, very uh, positive about that. So, Chris, I'll start with you. Where do you stand on that? What do you th- did, was, did they strike the right balance there? Well, I think I can understand why the, the racing broadcast isn't going to show the fall and also racing Victoria because it, it is their product and they want to present it in a you know in a positive light because you, you you've got you've you've got the you know the, the non racing people who are going to jump on that sort of thing and and say why are we you know showing falls and and jockeys falling down but I think when it comes to you know, other media outlets I don't see a, a problem with with showing. I don't, I don't have a problem with showing a fall if there's no fatalities, as we saw on, on the weekend. So it is that that fine line of showing what's newsworthy but also, you know, ensuring that you are, you know, promoting your product in a more – in a positive light. So it's not really about the news, though, is it, Big V? This is on their, their platforms and, you know, when people go back and watch the replays, which I have of that race, and they do cut it out. Um, you know, they have to showcase what, what they want to. I think it's about context to be uh, Corbs as well. I mean, um, obviously that was a bad fall and I, I believe the jockey Ethan Brown still in a, a reasonably bad way. So, yeah, um, you know, you have to you have to think of him and his family during that period. But, um, yeah, no, it was obviously a, a very bad incident and I believe they usually cut these scenes out Anyway, Corbs, was was there conjecture that perhaps this was a, a change of policy? Because I, I'd always thought they had um, edited those bits of footage out. I think it's more a matter of different perspectives on whether they should be, right? So some some people are looking at taking like a pure punting lens and thinking, well, this is a big group one race. I can't review that footage because there's a bit of it missing versus other people saying, well, isn't it, isn't it a good thing that we uh, didn't allow the incident to be made use of? In, by animal activists and, you know, um, equine welfare activists and things like that. So that, I think that's where the, the trade-off is happens here. Yeah, I could see that that argument as well because when you're trying to do your reviews and you're looking at for horses to follow and, you know, any any runs that you that might catch the eye, you're getting footage that have been taken out. So you, you lose that context of the race as well and how good a performance is from a particular horse. So I do see from... From that perspective. Now, Chris, what was your take on the release of information of Caulfield versus Sandown attendance and wagering figures during the week? Because those two racetracks are obviously owned by the same club, the Melbourne Racing Club. Uh, I'm sure you saw that come out. What what do you reckon was behind that? Well, crowds will always be lower at Sandown because it is further away to get to. It's not as accessible as Caulfield is. So I think you've got to have your temper, your expectations of what crowd figures you're going to get when it comes to Sandown. When it comes to the the wagering, um, just looking at the figures, they they hold up okay, you know, compared to Caulfield last year. I mean, there were some exceptions, like Blue Diamond Day, there was a bit of a drop-off. But I think last year on the same day, you had wet weather up in Sydney and Brisbane. So you're going to have a lot more focus on the Melbourne meeting. And the other one was also um, Boxing Day, but we had small fields that day, so that impacts also turnover as well. But for some reason, I don't know why punters are reluctant to have a bet at Sandown. I think it's a very fair track, particularly when you're looking at Saturday meetings. I think the form does stack up. But I think 
just looking at the numbers, apart from those two meetings where there were, you know, reasons for it, the wagering turnover, you know, holds up pretty well in comparison. Yeah, I agree, Big V. I think Sandown's off Broadway. I think think it's quite on the same uh, level of punters' minds. Um, I think the professionals would have still been there, but I guess seeing a blue diamond at Sandown impacts some people. And I thought Sandown held up very well over from a wagering and attendance perspective, given given those um, you know difficulties. So I thought it was a, a like a success or making the best of a bad situation, I suppose, from an MRC perspective. A couple of other stories coming out of the news this week. Uh, Phil, I'll throw to you here. Horse Mile, is it a little bit, getting a little bit unwieldy just with some of the, uh, we had some horses come in. We've got wild cards, we've got uh, emergencies. What, what, what's the go there? Is the format sustainable? Is it a bit complicated? We had a hinge, was it hinge or fangirl? Fangirl was in for fangirl. five minutes and then, uh, and then out again. Yeah, what's your take on all this? I think we've got your opinion out of that question just quietly uh, there, Corbs. But, yeah, it is a bit unruly. And I think I made this point in one of our first podcasts of this season that it's just, um, you know, it opens up with all these horses that you, you think, oh, this is going to be a fantastic field this year. How good's the All-Star Mile going to be? And then it slowly, slowly gets dwindled away and dwindled away until there's only a couple of real, you know, real chances in the race and a, and a, and a couple others. But it kind of has lost it a little bit, hasn't it? It's kind of all over the place. I couldn't tell you who the horses are in the race or who the wild cards are or or how that's all panned out because it's continually changing and it's very unclear. So I think they do need to think about how they make the format a bit more stable and consistent and easy to follow for, for punters and people that are interested. Even those people that voted have probably had their horse changed three times in some circumstances. So, yeah, I think it's... um something to, to work through. I don't I think the format overall is a good concept. It's just yeah how how to iron out some of the kinks. Yeah. I have to say poor fangirl didn't accept for the Coolmore Classic this weekend. I thought she would, would have been a big chance. Then she's in the All Star Mile, as you said, for a day. They're gonna run into George Ryder next week and has to come up against Animo now. So I think they they might have missed the opportunity for a group one there. But I, I just think with the um it's essentially it's a fan voted race and I think when they release the top 10, they should release the, the top 20 votes. And so when a horse drops out, it should be the next horse in the voting that goes in rather than have an emergency. And maybe with the wild cards, I think they should drop them from five to four. I think last, like last year, we had you know, nearly half the field or more than half the field made up of wild cards and emergencies when it's a race that's voted for by fans. You want You want the horses that get voted for to be in that race all right let's have a quick look ahead to the upcoming races so uh the big race of the weekend this weekend is in melbourne the new market handicap time honored new market handicap uh i wish i win in secret private eye lofty strike i suspect phil you might have another one to throw in the mix there at odds yeah, look, I think the, the market's pretty fair in terms of those t- at the top of the market. I think I Wish I Win is a des- deserved favourite for the race. Um, in secret, obviously, a uh, three-year-old there has done nothing wrong and has drawn really well, I think, um, down the straight at Flemington. But the one that got missed, and it got missed big time last year, and I think it's got missed a little bit this year as well, is Rockin' Horse. Opened at $35. It, it has drawn inside, which isn't ideal, but it's uh, 
form down the Flemington Strait is impeccable. It's run there four times, two Group 1 wins, including last year's Newmarket and running past Nature Strip late in its prep last year. I think it's run in the Oakley Plate was a really nice little tune-up. And if you're just looking for the overs, if you can get $30, $35 about Rocking Horse, it wouldn't be the best, uh, worst um, expenditure of your punting career. In secret, I think is under the odds. I think she needs to do a lot more from what she did last start to be threatening the likes of I Wish I Win and Private Eye and Rock and Horse. But I, but I could be wrong. But I've got I Wish I Win on top in a pretty good race. So uh, I'll get you guys each to nominate another winner for me from the weekend upcoming. But I'll just remind the listeners, we've got the Matron and the Cooney Stakes. Matron for the Mayors, a Cooney for the Phillies. They're both at Flemington. And then we pivot up to Rose Hill. Coolmore Classic, Phillies and Mayors Group 1, the Farlap Stakes for the three-year-olds. And there are big, high-stakes two-year-olds races in both states as well. We've got the Magic Knight, the Pango Pango in Sydney, and the VRC's Size Produce. Chris, we'll start with you. Got something else for us? Yeah, I'll go to the Matron Stakes. Now, the more I look at this, I think this sets up really well for Barb Raider. You know, she should get across and lead from barrier 10 without any problems. She's three from four at the track. So I think it looks really good for her. Exolita looks ready third up but is suspect at the 1600 and doesn't have that early speed to negate her wide barrier like Barb Raider has. And then the other runner is So You See, who's just been unpredictable in the last four or five starts. So... Yeah, the more I look at this race, the more the more keen I'm getting with Barb Raider. Yeah, I was, I was having a look at what might be my best bet uh, over the weekend, and I went to the Shaftesbury Avenue. That's race eight at Flemington, and I think Ayrton um, would be probably my best bet of the weekend. It's currently three thirty. Uh, impeccable first up form, and uh, raced pretty close to I wish I win. Who uh, Big V is pretty keen on for a new market, so I'm happy to go with Ayrton as my best bet. The final furlong this weekend, there's a lot going on. Melbourne on and Sydney on Saturday. Then we go to Canberra for Sunday and Canberra again on Monday and Adelaide. Lots going on. I might get a Canberra memory from you, Phil, given that you used to live up there. So an ACT racing memory from you, and then we'll throw over to the Big V for a South Australian racing memory. Canberra, I obviously lived there for a few years, um, as some listeners will know. And yeah, look, to be honest, most of the uh, times at the races there, most of the action I can remember is off the field. Um, I think, I believe I saw a marriage proposal once during the Fashions of the Field parade there. Um, you might have been alongside me that day. I can confirm that. That definitely <laughs> happened, yeah. She said yes from memory, which was um, lucky for him. Um, they have mixed up the scheduling over time as well. They've sort of put the Canberra Cup and the Black Opal on on the same days, different weeks, and now they're running on consecutive days on the Sunday and the Monday. Uh, but the the race, one that really stands out for me, and look, at Canberra, I can't really remember backing winners on any of these days in any races, but one winner I do remember backing is Criterion when it won the 2013 Black Opal. Uh, obviously went on to be a amazing horse. I think it won four Group 1s, including a Queen Elizabeth. And, yeah, I just remember it flying down the outside in its yellow, uh, with the yellow jacket and uh, picking up probably my only win ever on a, on, a, on a Black Opal day. So, yeah, that's probably my favourite memory. Yeah, I really had to dig deep into my memory bank, and I, and I hope my memory is accurate with this. But I remember you know, many years ago backing a mare called Velocite down in Melbourne here and she went up to Adelaide for the long weekend 
in not in one of those uh, undercard races and got the money at a good price as well. Excellent, fellas. Well, thank you very much for that. We'll be back you recording at our usual Wednesday night, so look out for it on Thursday morning, punters. Looking forward to that. In the meantime, Phil, how do we uh, how do we sign off for the week? As always, good luck on the punt.